Hi guys, I uh, hope you're doing well uh, this morning. Um, hope things are going great for you guys. Good, good to see you again. Um, good to be with you and uh, to spend a little bit of time digging into the Word of God and um, hopefully uh, uncovering some cool th thoughts and some truths that will help impact and change how we live our lives. That we can be more like Christ after this next 30 minutes than we were before. And we'll leave here with uh, determination to go and be what Jesus has called us to be. We've been talking about dreaming big, and today I'm going to just take a little kind of side road in uh, the normal flow of what I've been doing. Uh, we're talking about dreaming big, and we've talked about the what and the where and some of those other uh, places that we find our dream. But today I want to find, I want to talk about the why. Why? we can dream big. And I want to take a, take a look at a, a passage of scripture in uh, John's gospel, John chapter 8. I just taught on John 8, the whole chapter on Wednesday night. And so I wanted to share this, the first 11 verses uh, this morning with you um, for a couple different reasons. But, uh, but because this, this really shows us why, why it is that we can dream big. It gives us the why in our life on why we can dream big for God. It's, it's, it's God that makes it possible for us to dream big because in and of ourselves, we don't have a chance. We don't have a shot in the dark. But with his mercy and grace, we can dream big. So if you're in John uh, chapter 8, the first 11 verses, uh, it's a story about this woman uh, who is caught in the act of adultery. And back in Jesus's day, and uh, the religious leaders uh, are going to step into the scene and they're, they're going to try to uh, catch Jesus in a trap. And uh, so this woman is, is uh, a hurting, broken woman. She has had a hard past, no doubt. She is not respected in her community in any way. And now she's like busted. She is caught in the very act of adultery. And we all kind of say, okay, where's the man in all this? And we don't know. He's not brought before anybody, but she is. That's another story. But she's broken and she has had a long road that has led to this moment in her life. And on this day, a day that she thinks it's over, it's really just going to begin. See, the truth of the matter is for her, nobody knows the trouble that she has seen. Nobody knows her story. Nobody really knows her past. Nobody knows how she has gotten to this moment in time where she is going to be brought before Jesus and thrown basically at his feet, caught in the act of adultery. And nobody knows, for every one of us, nobody knows the troubles that you've seen or I've seen. Nobody. There are only two people who know 100% what 
of my troubles. There's only two people. There's only two people who know my experiences 100%, my pain 100%, my joys 100%, my failures and my successes 100%. See, me and Jesus are the only two who know it all. And only you and Jesus know your whole story. Other people might know parts of your story. And your family might know a little more than just random people or friends. But only you and Jesus know the whole story. You know what you've seen. You know what you've heard. You know where you've been. You know where, what you've done. You and Jesus are the only two who know it all. And in this passage, Jesus is going to show us the why we can dream big. Because no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter why you've done what you've done, no matter when you did what you did, the fact of the matter is, he loves you. Jesus loves us. I mean, that's it. Jesus loves us. And, and I love this story, you know, because it's a story of grace. It's a story of forgiveness and mercy and love and, and um, patience and the, the goodness and the riches of God for you and for me. We may not have been caught in the act of adultery like we're going to see this woman. But we're as guilty as sin and we are as guilty as she is of sinning against God. And all of us, every one of us today, need what Jesus is going to give her. And this is really cool. So here we go. The grace of God. John chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and that is just outside Jerusalem. I, I, what I'm going to do is read through this, and then, and then um, we'll come back and we'll kind of march through it a little bit, okay? So Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, 
Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What a, what a powerful, powerful event. Now, I know you'll probably have some notes in your Bible that these, this story or this event uh, doesn't belong right here in John's Gospel. It, it wasn't here in the earliest manuscripts that we have, and there's some of that talk going on. There's no doubt it's an event that really happened. Where it fits into the Gospel, we're not sure. And that's what they're trying to tell us, is that we're not sure where this story fits. So they put it here in John, the beginning of John 8, because it seems uh, like that's where it might have happened. But the story itself is accurate. It's true. And uh, it's a beautiful story. Uh, it's a beautiful, not a love story between Jesus and this woman. It's not that at all. It's, it's more of a love story between Jesus and mankind and humanity. Because he sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in our waywardness. He sees us in our sin. And he who made us loves us. He loves us. And this is, this is hard for us because we're not like this. Like we're, we're more like the, 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 the religious leaders who are looking for a, you know, someone to point at and accuse. Somehow we, 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 we don't get off on that, I don't think. It's not like we, it makes us feel like we're superstars or anything like that. I just think it makes us feel like we're a little better than that guy. You know, don't look at my faults. Let's, let's look at... Let's look at his. It's a crazy story. It's a beautiful story. Let's, let's just march through this. Look what happens. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So it's just outside Jerusalem, not far, less than a mile away. And they, he often went there to just get away. Uh, he, could see, uh, he could see the city of Jerusalem. He could, uh, it was a quiet place to go and spend time. He often went there with the disciples to pray and to just talk and to teach them to get away from the crowds. At dawn... He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. Now, so he goes into the temple, which is this big uh, place that has different courtyards. And in the, in the temple, uh, in, in the temple courts, uh, most people are allowed to be in this area. It's a big courtyard, and Jesus goes into the temple courts where lots of people are, men and women and all kinds, Jews and Gentiles. Anybody can kind of go in this area in the temple, and he sits down. Look what he does. He sat down to teach. He just goes and sits down on a step somewhere or near a pillar somewhere, and, and people are kind of with him, and he just begins to teach them. I think that's just so like Jesus-like, right? And that's just so, so cool. He just goes in there and he begins to teach them. And of course, the religious leaders are going to take this opportunity 
to try to trap Jesus. They're going to they're gonna try to use the law of Moses, which Jesus claims to be the one to fulfill it. And they're going to try to trap Jesus in this uh, event. And so he's sitting down, he's teaching the people, and um, the teachers of the law come in and they drag this woman from a tent or from her home or from somewhere. She was caught in the act of adultery, so they say, and they drag her into the temple courts. Could you imagine this? The humiliation for her in all of this. And they drag her in there and they throw her down in front of Jesus. They brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. So now this is complete humiliation. Like, look at this sinful woman, everybody. And then they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? So, like, here's, here's what the law of Moses says, Jesus. Are you going to go against the law of Moses? Because if you do, we are going to pounce on you. And if you go along with the law of Moses, then we're going to stone this woman. And so they think they have set a trap for Jesus. They, they really think that they have like got Jesus right where they want him. And the cool thing about this is Jesus is pretty much going to just ignore their question. Look what they say. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus doesn't answer the question. He bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. Remember, he's sitting down. Maybe he stood up at this. We don't know. But he bends down and he starts writing on the ground. And we don't know what he's what he's writing on the ground we have no idea what he's writing on the ground there's lots of speculation about what jesus is writing on the ground with his finger i don't know you know you probably have some ideas too maybe he's writing a, a, a scripture from the old testament don't test the lord or something maybe he's writing out the ten commandments maybe he's writing out specific sins and and putting arrows like at each of the people, like he knows exactly their faults too. We don't know, and, and not sure that it matters much, but he's writing on the ground with his finger, and he's bent down, and he's ignored their question, and they're going to keep on questioning Jesus. Like, Jesus, what do you say? The law says this. Are you going to go against the law, Jesus? Moses, our forefather, he said that this is what we should do in this case. It's right here in the law. Jesus, what do you say? And then he straightened up and he says to them what none of them are expecting him to say. I mean, they've set a trap for Jesus, but really what is happening is they have set a trap for themselves because God is just that good. Like, you, you're not going to outsmart God. It's not like we can trick God into 
into like doing what we want God to do or going along with our thing. Somehow we're going to manipulate God. Somehow we're going to like use reverse psychology on God. It's just not going to happen. They set a trap for Jesus, but they're going to end up in the trap themselves, which is what happens every time people try to set a trap for Jesus. And so he says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This is brilliant. I would have, who, who would have thought of saying these words? Let, let the one of you, any one of you who is without sin, you go ahead and you throw the first stone. If you're perfect, go ahead and throw a stone. Jesus could have said, look, I am perfect. I could throw a stone because I have not sinned. I am the only one in the group who should be throwing a stone at this woman. But he doesn't say that. He just puts it back on them, on their own conscience, on their own understanding of their own faults and failures in light of God's understanding of who they are and what they've done and that they've offended God too, that we're all sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he says this, throw the first, throw stone at her. And again, he stoops down and he begins to write in the ground again. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, you gotta, you gotta try to imagine this, this scene. Like, the religious leaders now have dropped their rocks and they're gonna walk away like, well, that didn't work. That just backfired on us. Uh, Jesus knows way more than they thought he knew. This is not just some guy that they could trick or trap. This, this, this person has wisdom beyond wisdom. This person has an understanding that, that no one else has. And he doesn't even deal with their, in the law, Moses said stuff. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus came to change that. It's no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus came to bring grace. All of the law was pointing to Jesus, was, was, was setting a, up a, a scenario or the stage for something more spiritual, something greater. Everything that God did in the Old Testament, the, the blood of bulls and goats, the way that the laws were set up and the way that God wanted his people to go about certain things, all of it, all of it was just put in place to help us one day see the real. This was like the temporary to get us to the real. And now Jesus is here and he is the real. And the real isn't about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The real isn't about like uh, um, taking out revenge on people. The real is about grace and love and mercy that God has for his people and that we should have for each other. That's the real. 
And this is what caused the religious leaders to, to stumble. They did not want to shift into this frame of mind. They loved being the top dogs and oppressing the people, the Jews specifically, that were under them. And if you take away uh, a punishment, if you take away the, those laws that they kind of added to, then they don't, then, then everyone is equal. And Jesus is leveling the playing ground and they don't want that. And so they come in here accusing this woman and Jesus basically says, look, grace has come. Mercy has come. Love has come. And so they understand that they are, they are as guilty before God as this woman is guilty before the group. They also began to understand that Jesus is saying to them, look, before you take a plank out of this sister's eye, you might want, or the, the speck out of your sister's eye, you might want to take the plank that's in your own eye. And it's a call to, to being honest with ourselves that we're all broken, that we're all sinners, that every one of us have issues, that, that, that no, no matter what your lifestyle is, God, God loves us and he cares about us and his grace is for us. But he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us where we are. We don't get to just approach God and say, God, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I am uh, this, I am that, I have become this, I became that. And, and as if we get to continue living in a way that is against the ways of God. We don't get to do that. He loves us in our sin, but he loves us so much that he wants us to come out of that sin. We don't get to continue living in it. And, and in this world that we live in, we are living in a world where people want everyone to like accept their sin. It's, it would almost be like this woman saying, look, I'm an adulteress. I sleep with anybody. I'm a prostitute and you're going to love it. No, nobody accepted it. It wasn't right. It wasn't normal. It wasn't good, even though she was doing it. And Jesus loves this woman right there in her, her prostitution, in her adultery, in her sin. He loves her right there. But he loves her so much, he's not going to leave her there. And that's the difference with what the world wants, right, and what God wants. It's also the difference between, you know, how we learn to love people where they're at. But we expect that we're going to live for God. We're going to change and we're going to do it God's way. We don't get to change and do it our way, our selfish, sinful way. We don't get to continue in that and walk with God. There's, you can't do both. Look what happens. They walk away and Jesus straightens up and he asks the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are they? They haven't pulverized you with stones? They haven't? They haven't rocked your life. And she says, no one's condemned me, sir. No one. 
And Jesus says those beautiful words, then neither do I condemn you. See, it really doesn't matter if they condemn her or not, the religious leaders and the other people. They have their opinions, they have their ideas, they have their thoughts, they have their agendas. It doesn't matter what they think. But when Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, that matters. Because he's not just saying, neither do I condemn you to this woman. He is saying to you and me, Neither do I condemn you for your sins, for your failures, for your faults. See, Jesus loves her right where she is at her lowest point. She thought she was going to be drugged into this temple and she was not going to leave alive. She was going to leave in a body bag. She was going to be stoned and rocked and bloody and bruised and left for dead. That's what she thought. She had to be thinking that when she was brought in there. They're going to stone me to death. I am. This is it's over. And, and she's going to leave a whole new person with a whole new life, with a whole new future, with a whole new beginning because of Jesus. See, he's the one person in the whole temple that could make a difference for her. And he did. He says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. But then he says, go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't say it's okay for you to be an adulteress. God loves you. No, he's saying being an adulteress is evil and it's wrong and it's sin. Stop doing this. And that's what Jesus says to you and me. Grace has come and there's grace. It's right there for you. You can have it. God offers it to you. He says, I don't condemn you. You can have life everlasting with me, but you're going to have to leave your own selfish way of living. You don't get to live your way and claim the promises of God. You just don't. You just don't. And, and that's the tension between the grace of God that has come for you and for me in this world and the call of God to be different from the world to live holy lives to the Lord. See, there will always be those who accuse us. There are always going to be those who are going to point at you and say, look what you did. Look at your past. Look how this happened. Look how that happened. You know, there are always going to be those who want to just condemn you for whatever reason. Maybe it just makes them feel better that they are better than you in some way or they know things about you. Even our own hearts condemn us. Even in our own heart and our mind, we know we are guilty. I am guilty of sin and shame and disobedience. I know that I am. But greater than our accuser and greater than our own heart is Jesus. And he says, I love you. He says, I love you right where you are. 
I love you. I don't condemn you. I, I came to rescue you. Go free. Go and live free, but leave your life of sin. Leave it and follow God's truth and God's way and his grace and his love. See, why, why can we dream big? Why can we dream big? Because, oh, how he loves you and me. He loves us so much. He loves us so much that he stretched out his arms and he said, this is how much I love you. Father, please help us. Help us to see ourselves in this story. And that, that we're the ones that people are pointing at saying, look what he did. Or the devil is even pointing at us and telling you what, what an evil person we are. And through all that, we see your truth declared that you love us, that you came for us, that you came here to rescue us, to die on a cross for us. God, help us to accept that truth. Help us not to listen to the lies of the world around us or even the things they say about us that are true. Help us to hold on to the grace that you have for us because it is greater than all of our sin your grace. And help us, Father, to walk away from the world and from the sinfulness of our lives and live for you. To go and sin no more. To stop doing the things that we were doing once. And to live our lives for you, God. To live to please and honor you. Thank you, Father, for this passage. Thank you for your grace. Walk with us today, Father, in Jesus' name. You guys have a great week. Uh, I hope it's awesome. And I hope you just feel the love that God has for you. It's so big. Take care.